Hello everyone, welcome to what's sure to be a slightly abbreviated episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. This is your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Please, if you could, like, comment, subscribe, share, review, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. All that good stuff. Help support grow the show. That really does help more than just about anything else. Uh, Help the algorithm, and please spread the word. Word of mouth is the best form of marketing you can possibly get, so please tell other people. Would deeply appreciate it. All right, tonight's going to be fairly short. Uh, I mentioned this last week. I have not yet had the opportunity to watch all of UFC on ESPN 23. My father got married again on Saturday, so that took priority. Uh... So I've seen a couple of the fights, I've seen some highlights, so I will talk in as much detail as I feel comfortable doing. Other than that, um, this one's just going to kind of fall a little bit by the wayside, as far as detailed analysis on my part goes. Uh, sorry guys, couldn't I can't do anything about that. A preview of UFC on ESPN 24. Boy, this card is not good. But we'll get into specifics and then some news. There's uh, there's some news to talk about. There's definitely some stuff. Some weird. Some mundane. Uh, <clears throat> mostly weird. I think most of it's weird. It's MMA. It's all a little bit weird. Alright, so let's jump into last night. UFC on ESPN 23. I've seen a little bit of this, so I'm going to again speak as much as I can. Your main event... Ooh, boy. I think, I can't remember if I leaned Reyes or Yuri last time. I might have leaned towards Yuri. I should have if I didn't, because he won. Yuri Prochka defeats Dominic Reyes via knockout, spinning back elbow at 429 of the second. Um, man. This was a weird fight. Dominic Reyes remains a frustrating fighter to watch. He very clearly has a lot of tools at his disposal, some very exceptional tools. He's an accurate striker. He, uh, I mean, that's fairly obvious. He's got power. He's got a ton of ability. But he just... Hmm. Some of it's unfavorable matchups. Some, I don't know if that fight with John didn't mess with his head a little bit, you know? Some guys, they get there, they almost climb the mountaintop. They think they should have. And I've been open about this. That was the first time maybe ever I've kind of come away from a fight thinking John probably should have lost that. Uh, just again, full disclosure there. I d- Scoring it live, I scored it for John. But eh, I'm, I'm not sold on that as I was doing it live. I'm certainly not sold on that as I... As I have rewatched the fight once, I, I'm just very, at a bare minimum, I am extraordinarily sympathetic to scoring that fight in favor of, uh, in favor of uh, Dominic Reyes. But uh, I'm, I'm not. Uh, again, sometimes people really struggle with that. You know, they they get there and then it just doesn't quite. They struggle in the follow-up. I mean, he fought Jan Blahovich in it for the vacant title right after. And struggled. I mean, really struggled to find a whole lot of anything uh, offensively in that fight. It was not a good performance from him, I mean, even in the, lo- even in the you know, finish loss. Uh, 
Man, it was it was not great. And now now he's lost three in a row, and he's lost three in a row despite being he's still a very I think well thought of fighter. But man, that finish from Yuri hurt him. He, I mean, Yuri hurt him at the end of the first. Uh, Prochka is a wild man, a little bit unorthodox, a little bit. That's a slight exaggeration, a slight underselling on my part. He's unorthodox. He deals damage. He's got power. His timing's awkward. He's a tough. He's a tough guy to kind of figure out. And I mean, the other thing about Prochka that I think has to be noted is his chin. He was at a negative strike differential when he beat Volkan Uzdemir in his UFC debut. Means he got hit more than he he got hit more than he hit Uzdemir. Believe the same thing is true here. Um, if the if the overall differential wasn't negative, he certainly absorbed a lot of strikes. He absorbed what six strikes per minute, I think. I think that was the result I saw. Let me bring up the stats here very briefly. Assuming they've been, I, they should have been updated, so let me let's have a look at this one. Um, okay, Prochka did outland Reyes in the first. Uh, if we're talking about significant strikes, 45 to 39, so not by a huge margin. Uh, mostly head hunting from yeah, mostly head hunting from both men. Almost all at distance. Very little in the clinch, I and mean, the the fight ending blow for Prochka was in the clinch, so. Picked a good one to pick. They lifting this a distance? That is not a choice I would make when describing this, but okay. Um, I need to see if I can find this on Prochka. Um, let's see. We have a striking accuracy. His striking defense is only 48%. Sub 50 is not good. And his significant stripes absorbed per minute is 6.8. You're taking almost seven significant strikes per minute of a fight? That's a lot of damage. Now, he's winning. And he's on a good winning streak. I mean, this is you know, certainly not... Let me have a look at that. He's on a long winning streak, as I seem to recall. Yeah, very long. Dude hasn't lost since 2015. And 12 or 13 fights. I'm not going to count them up. One of those two. Which are again, significant, significant numbers. That's that's a lot. Uh, you know, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of... Uh, that's a lot of time to be undefeated in MMA. You know, and... Jeez, only one decision in all that time. The rest of those are all finishes. I don't know how sustainable his style is. Said the same thing about Justin Gagey, right? You take that many strikes per minute, that's going to end up badly for you eventually. The question, I, the real question here is how soon is eventually, right? That's kind of the only uh, really relevant question. Is you know, how soon is that going to catch up with him? Because it will inevit sort of inevitably it's going to. There's not really any two ways around that. But he can achieve some great stuff until it before it does. I mean, 
This was a wonderful knockout and probably gets him a title shot. I mean, we've got to share. Um, Glover to share has the next one lined up. But who do you go to after you know, after Glover? I mean, assuming there were no shenanigans around Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira, which is not a given, but uh, certainly more likely than not, I suppose, might be the way to say that. Uh, if we go further down that list, you got Rakic. Rakic currently sitting at number two, while Prochka is five. That's going to change, because Reyes was three. The rankings haven't been updated yet. Um, I mean, I like Rakic. I think he might be the guy to get the belt next. But off of his last performance, I, I think Prochka is probably going to leapfrog him in terms of getting the next title shot. And quite frankly, there's a very compelling argument in that. The UFC is going to favor exciting fighters at every conceivable opportunity that they can. They just are. And Prochka's a wild man. And, I mean, you'd be foolish to discount him, whether that's Glover or Yon. You might favor Glover and Yon against him. And as I sit here thinking about it, I do. But that's that's a very, uh, you know, that's very kind of at the moment. I might even favor them. Would I discount Prochka beating either of those gentlemen? Not in the slightest. Not one single bit would I discount them. Would I discount Prochka's chances against them? He is a tough guy to beat. He is a difficult man to figure out, and he is, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough one. Whoever gets him next, uh, that's not an easy fight. That is not an easy fight at all. And he's probably got the title shot there, so yeah, expect him to be featured prominently. As for Reyes, man... What a fall from grace, huh? I mean, you come into the UFC undefeated. You stay undefeated until you fight for the belt. You take John Jones to a decision that a lot of people thought you won. And then you get finished in back-to-back -back fights. Uh, man, that is... That's rough. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know where he's going to wind up. But, uh, man, it, he's got some pretty hard decisions to kind of figure out. He's got some stuff to, he has some pretty hard questions. Because clearly what he's doing is not working. Uh, he's got to figure that out. And fast. Light heavyweight is not a deep division. It's not a terribly great division. But the UFC's decision to abandon wrestlers of a high caliber... Uh, seems to have eventually paid off. Uh, again, it's still not great, and Jan... I'm not trying... Jan Blahovich at 38 is probably not going to be champion for a tremendous amount of time. Uh, I don't... I do favor him over Glover Teixeira a little bit. That's a tough one. Uh, and I'll do more study on them as, you know, their fight approaches. So, I favor. Favor. But... That age catches up, man. And Jan's had a long career too. Like that's that guy's got a lot of fight on him. He's had a, he's been doing this for a while. Uh, I'm not I'm not predicting that you know Jan's going to lose in his next fight or two. I won't be shocked if he does. But you know, three to five years from now, he's not your champion. 
You know, someone like Prohachka, someone like Rakic. Uh, who else is young in the top of that division? That real fast. Uh, on Kalaev. Magomed on Kalaev might be the man. Just throwing that out there. That might be the man at 205. You give that a little bit longer. He might be the man. Uh, that, that guy is... Uh, guy is a serious handful. Alright. Um, co-main event. This one I've also seen. Giga Chikadze defeated Cub Swanson via TKO. Body kick and punches 103 of the first. Just a wicked left kick to the body from Chikadze. He landed it a couple of times, and then finally one of them caught Swanson a little bit you know, in the right place and at the right time. Swanson collapsed. Chikadze pounded him out. Uh, dude, Giga Chikadze is a problem. He Pretty much everyone has fought in the UFC up until this point has tried very, very hard to wrestle him, and you've seen why his last couple of fights. He TKO'd Jamie Simmons real quick, and he just stopped Cub Swanson faster than most. When was the last time Swanson lost in the first round? Just idle curiosity on my part. Uh, Hanato Moicano in 2018. Before that, you have to go all the way back to 2012 when he fought Charles Oliveira. No, that's a win. When was the last time he lost? So Moicano in 18. And then that's a win. All the way back to Jens Pulver. 35 seconds in 2007. And then his professional debut against Shannon Gugarty. So, not a lot of people get Cub Swanson out of there that fast. And you strike with Giga Chikadze at your own peril. I'm not saying that man's a future champion or anything like that, but he is someone you should absolutely be paying a tremendous amount of attention to. He is not someone to take lightly. Uh, not at all. And this is a this is the biggest win of his career if we're talking name value. So be on the lookout for him. He will fight someone. Of, was he ranked coming into this? What happens when I don't watch. The details escape me. Yeah, he was 14 coming into this. Swanson was 15. Some people got removed. Some people got removed from the rankings. I think um, a lot of people just straight up went up at featherweight. I'd have to double check who fell out. But. I imagine he'll bump up a few slots after this. Boy, Featherweight's a great division, isn't it? I'm just looking down it. Um, it never moved. Oh, I bet, it, at a bare minimum, I bet they pulled um, Zabit Magomed Sharipov after his comments about potentially wanting to retire. They're negotiating with him and his manager in public with stuff like this. This is one of the things that annoys me about the UFC's rankings. The utter lack of consistency. Um, yeah, they'll yank him for no reason other than that they're negotiating with him. Uh, I think somebody else got dropped off, too. I think someone lost a fight recently. Again, forgive me for my not necessarily remembering off the top of my head. But Featherweight's a great... I mean, you have Volkanovski, Holloway, Ortega, Yair, sure. Chansung Jung, Calvin Cater. Jung's gonna be fight, fighting Dan Ige. Josh Emmett, Arnold Allen, the aforementioned Ige, Shane Burgos, Sadiq Youssef, Bryce Mitchell, Edson Barboza, Mov Solovoyev, Giga Chikadze, and Swanson snuck in at 15. Yeah, I don't think he'll retain that spot. He probably shouldn't have been 15th, quite honestly. 
I'd have to look at their roster to find out who should be there instead of him, but somebody. Uh, yeah, that's a great division, man. Tough division to make headway in. Alright, some of the rest of these I haven't seen, so I will talk briefly about what I can. Iwan Kutelaba and uh, Dustin Jacoby fought to a split draw. A 29-28 for each man and then a 28-28. Haven't seen this fight, not shocked. Iwan Kutelaba is... A bit of a wild man when it comes to stuff like that, so again, not terribly surprised. Uh, let's see. After that, or before that, Sean Strickland defeated Christoph Yatkov via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. Haven't seen this, but from the descriptions I've read, kind of what I expected. Bantamweight Marab Dwalishvili defeated Cody Stamen via unanimous decision, 130-27, 229-28s. Dude. Dwalish really is a specialist uh, in that he only has, like, one thing he really does. He's a takedown machine and a not even much of a top control guy. Just relentless wrestling, getting you down, getting you down, getting you down, getting you down. But that man's motor is absurd. Like, if you understand how much work it takes to do half of the... Of, to put out half of that effort... And he's doing that every time. Uh, that man's... He, he might have the most insane cardio I've ever seen. For something as labor-intensive as his style... Oof, that man's a problem in that division. I'm not saying I'd pick him over anyone at the top. I'd, I'd pick Peter Yan to beat him. I'd pick Aljamain Sterling to beat him. I'd pick... Who else is at the top of that division? Um, Font would be tough, actually. I'd pick Corey Sandhagen to beat him. I'd pick Jose Aldo to beat him, quite candidly. But, man... You know, him and Rob Font... Font would... I might favor Font. But that's tough. You Ditto Cody Garbrandt. Uh... I would probably pick Dwalish really to beat Marlon Marais or Frankie Edgar at this point. Edgar might be a little bit speculative on my part, but you know, Munoz, I'd probably pick him. I'd probably pick Dwalish really. That man is a problem. He is a tough out, and he is. Oof. He is a. That is a rough go. Uh, on the prelims, Luana Pinheiro defeated Randa Marcos via illegal upkick disqualification, 416 of the first. I've seen a clip of this. I think the ref screwed up. I think Marcos and her team should appeal this. I think this was a bad call by the ref. Uh, just my two cents from the clip I saw. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. Uh, TJ Brown defeated Kai Kamaka III via split decision. This seems like it was a little bit crazy back and forth, so I'm, I haven't looked this one up yet, but I will. Luana Carolina missed weight and then defeated Poliana Botelio via split decision. Haven't seen this. Loma Lukbunmi defeated Sam Hughes via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. I have seen parts of this. Uh, Lukbunmi is a tough out at straw weight. A lot of people try to wrestle her. But there's not a lot of great wrestlers at strawweight. Um, there's not a lot of female fighters in the UFC who will uh, wrestle. Who will, you know, get low, bend at the waist, uh, and you just straight up wrestle in the traditional sense. They do a lot of clinch work. But clinching up with Luke Bunmi is... A, 
with her background, she's great at uh, some of her takedowns from this were like textbook. How to use your Muay Thai skills to counter a clinch game or to counter a clinch wrestler. Uh, that woman is, again, she's also going to be a handful. Uh, she's going to be a real handful. Middleweight Andreas Michelides defeated KB Bowler via unanimous decision. Have not seen this one. And I haven't seen Felipe Colares defeat Luke Sanders. Um, that was sort of entered across the boards. A little bit unfortunate for Sanders. Um, the man has skill, but he has not been able to put all of it together. So, yeah, your fight of the night was Prochka and Reyes, which, again, was a... Dude, that was a wild fight. For as long as it lasted, they both landed a lot. They both hurt each other. Uh, to the extent that you can hurt Prochka, at least, that man's been... Vulcan Uzdemir tagged him several times, too, and just... He doesn't go away easy. Performances of the night, Yuri Prochka and Giga Chikadze. Um, You know, after... As I look at this card now... After all the finishes we had you know, two weeks ago at UFC 261, for this card to have a bunch of decisions, a DQ, more decisions, and then finishes in the main and co-main, a little bit of balance kind of restoring to the universe. Um, we lost a couple of fights. Um, the big one, I think, that needs to be noted here, at the weigh-ins, there was supposed to be a fight between Gabriel Benitez and Jonathan Pierce. Benitez missed weight. He weighed 150 and a half. So, you know, four-ish pounds, five pounds, give or take, over the limit, depending on how you want to think about it. And Jonathan Pierce turned down the fight. Now, this is one of those things that I think a lot of people don't realize. If a fighter misses weight, the UFC has to then offer the fight to the fighter again. Um, and this is one of the only... I know, ev I know everyone and their dog tries to bring up, you know, weight cutting, or has the one hydration system, which has no evidence to support it. Or, you know, stuff like that. You want to know one of the only ways you're going to get a handle on some weight cutting issues like this? It's stuff like this. It's, no, I'm not going to fight the guy that missed weight. Because, and look, the UFC doesn't like that. It, it hurts their product. They, they're probably very pissed at Jonathan Pierce for this, to be quite candid. But this is one of the only ways you're going to have an impact on this. Is if a fighter... Because I, I imagine Gabriel Benitez did not get paid. I, in fact, and I hate to be the... Look, fighters are disadvantaged at pretty much every opportunity when it comes to their relationships with the UFC, with the athletic commissions, etc., etc. I don't wish ill on very many fighters. But when you miss weight... If your opponent turns down the fight, I don't think you should be paid at all. That's harsh, considering how fighters are compensated, how badly they're compensated. It's, I'm not here to relitigate all that. But you signed on the dotted line to make weight. If you don't make weight, and you're... Uh, so, I think... I'm okay with Pierce saying, no, I'm not fighting that guy who missed weight by five pounds. That doesn't bother me. Uh, I mean, look, the UFC is going to punish him for it because that's they're a petty and punitive organization when it comes to personal relationships like that. But I don't blame the guy. Not one iota. And that's one of the only ways you're going to make a dent in this. Uh, but most fighters are just going to fight anyway because they need the money. So, I don't know. Uh, 
that's that's one of those things that's just not really going to get sorted for quite some time, I think. Alright, um, yeah, so that was the event. Uh, first one I've missed in almost ten years. Since I became the... This is the first one I've missed since I became the regular UFC coverage guy for 411 Mania. Yeah, that sucks. Had a really nice streak going. But my father's wedding was more important, so... And looking at all the decisions on this card and some of the stuff, I like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like missing it, but what am I going to do? Something else came up, such is life. All right, moving on. UFC on ESPN 24. We lost the main event. This was supposed to be the return of TJ Dillashaw after his drug suspension, taking on surging Corey Sandhagen. And then, and then, uh, news came out this week. TJ Dillashaw suffers a cut. Pretty nasty one to the eyebrow. Just one of those things. And it sucks. Uh, he po- again, he posted a picture of it if you want to look it up. I He couldn't fight with that cut in that spot. He just couldn't. And it's just one of those unfortunate things. It sucks. Really sucks for him. Sucks for Sandhagen. Sucks for all the fans who are looking forward to this fight. It, it's, it sucks. Uh, he apparently got it just while doing some drilling. And again, I, I don't have a whole lot here. It's just really unfortunate. Um, we, so we don't have an official main event. I imagine the word is the favorite to replace it is currently the flyweight fight between Michelle Watterson and Marina Rodriguez. What the hell is Michelle Watterson doing up at flyweight? The woman's more the woman's a natural atom weight, fighting at strawweight because that's what the because that helps in the UFC. Now she's trying her hand at flyweight. She is ho- going to be horribly undersized. Anyway, she will, in theory, be fighting Marina Rodriguez. Um, I favor Rodriguez in that. Just going to throw that out there. Um, we lost a few other fights. We were supposed to get Donald Cerrone and Diego Sanchez, but and get to that in a minute. That's in our news section. Um... We were supposed to get a fight between Nicholas Mata and Demir Hadzevich. That got scrapped. Um, originally, we were supposed to get Jimmy Flick and Francisco Figueredo before Jimmy Flick retired a few weeks ago. And if you haven't heard his story about that, look it up. He has interviews with both uh, Ariel Helwani and Luke Thomas on the Morning Combat channel. Uh most MMA interviews are kind of canned. They're uninteresting. Uh, Jimmy Flick opens up. Uh, and it's an insi- it's an interesting interview. So uh, I would encourage you to look. But he was replaced with, supposed to be uh, J.P. Bays. Uh, however, Bays got injured and had to pull out. And the replacement wound up bumping that whole pairing to a different event. Uh, we were supposed to get Roxanne Modafferi and Tyler Santos, but Modafferi had a knee injury, just a torn meniscus. Um, yeah, this card has been just wrecked. Just wrecked. 
I mean, we were originally supposed to... They originally had kind of tied to this um, Holly Holm and Juliana Pena before Pena got scheduled to fight Amanda Nunes for the title. Um, look, this card is going up against uh, the fight between Sal Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders, so no one's going to watch this. Uh, but let's, let's go over the fights that we do have, such as they are. Uh, the aforementioned fight, Michelle Waterson and Marina Rodriguez. I kind of lean towards Marina here. Just <sighs> Waterson at flyweight just seems so undersized. Theoretically, Donald Cerrone will fight someone, though I'm not sure whether that'll hold through. Um, these these are not in order, by the way, just for the record. Zarek Adeshev and Ryan Benoit at flyweight. I kind of like Adeshev there. Heavyweight, Maurice Green and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. That'll be sloppy. Probably lean towards de Lima, but watch Green overperform. Um, Christian Aguilera. This is Walter Wade. Christian Aguilera and Carlston Harris. Probably Aguilera. Theoretically, a Tylo Santos fight. Not sure if that's going to hold together. Heavyweights, because more of them. Ben Rothwell and Felipe Linz. Boy, that could really suck. Just throwing that out there. That could be a terrible fight. I'll lean Rothwell. Uh, strawweight fight Angela Hill and Amanda Hebos. That's a good fight. Uh, that's a pretty big test for Hebos. She suffered her first setback, right? She lost to uh, yeah, Rodriguez. That's that is not an easy rebound. That is not an easy rebound at all. I'm going to lean towards Hebus, but ooh. Angela Hill might chew her up. Um, oh, another good fight, actually. Neil Magny and Jeff Neal are going to fight. I lean towards Jeff Neal, but just a little bit. That's a good fight. Featherweight, Michael Trezano and Ludovic Klein. Probably lean towards Trezano, but not sold. Good lightweight fight here. Carlos Diego Fajaya and Gregor Gillespie. This is a very good fight. This is Gillespie's first fight uh, since he got head kicked by Kevin Lee. He was supposed to fight Brad Riddell at uh, UF, uh, an event using ESPN 21. The Brunson and Holland fight before there was the COVID issue with uh, um, Volkanovski. Just a positive test. I don't think he had it. Or did he? I think he might have actually gotten it, and he's talked about how uh, it... I think he did get it. Not just the positives, but I think he actually you know, displayed symptoms. Uh, so now he's fighting Diego Fajaya at this fight. That's a great fight. I don't know who to pick there. I mean, Fajaya's generally more well-rounded and his lights out on the ground. Fajaya lost a split decision to Benil Dariush. That was a gr that was a really good fight, actually. Earlier this year, that was your fight of the night at uh, the Overeem Volkov event. I am going to lean Gillespie, but I mm, I don't feel good about that. That's kind of flip a coin. Middleweight fight between Phil Hawes and Kyle Dawkins. Kyle, the brother of somewhat developing heavyweights prospect Chris Dawkins. Uh, I, I'm going to favor Hawes. I think he's good. Uh, Dawkins, I think, struggles a little bit with the kind of physical pressure that Hawes brings. And a middleweight fight between Junyong Park and Taifan... Uh, Nchukwi. We? I'm going to go with Nchukwi. And just apologize if I'm mispronouncing that gentleman's name. I'm going to lean Park. But anyway, that's the card. Again, it's not in order. Uh, this is just a keep the machines turning.
kind of card. Again, there's the Canelo fight that more that's going to take up the majority of the oxygen in the combat space, combat sports world. And you lose the only really interesting thing this card had going for it in the return of TJ Dillashaw. So, I don't know what else. I will be covering it. So please do stop by in the MMA zone of 411 Mania next week. I will be back on the horse. All right, let's, because I kind of talked about this a little bit. The UFC has cut ties with Diego Sanchez. Diego has been with the UFC for 15 years, give or take. Was on the first season of The Ultimate Fighter and won his weight class. Uh, Fought for the UFC lightweight title when he was defeated soundly by BJ Penn. Has turned in some genuinely great fights. Um, his fights with both Nick Diaz and Caro Parisian are... I think his fight with Caro Parisian. I got a double... I might be misremembering. Um, Diego's career here. So I just want to double check. I'm 90% sure. Yeah, the Parisian fight. Um, his finish of Joe Riggs. It's not a long fight. It's a minute 45. But he beat the crap out of Joe Riggs. That uh, was another good fight. I mean, a lot of people loved his fight with Clay Guida. Uh, didn't really speak to me the way it spoke to others, but that fight is... The first round in particular of that fight is bonkers. Just straight up bonkers. Uh, yeah, I, his fight with Gilbert Melendez is pretty nuts. Um, oh, the... Uh, the Martin Campman fight. To be abundantly clear about this, Martin Campman won that fight, should have won that fight. Uh, absolute shame that he didn't. He should have won that fight. But that is a crazy fight. There was a period of time when Diego Sanchez was, even if he was never going to, you know, be champion, even though he had a good run at lightweight. Well, he won a couple of fights at lightweight, I shouldn't clarify that. Uh, there was a period of time when that man was very nearly can't miss television. Even though he got some decisions he shouldn't have, the Gomi win in particular was... Uh, he should have lost that fight. Uh, he should have lost the Ross Pearson fight, too. Terrible decision. Uh, but there was a there was a stretch of time when that man was... When he fought, you watched, because you were going to see something crazy. Even if he wasn't your favorite fighter, even if you weren't a fan, uh, you knew you were. Pr there was a really good chance that what he turned in was worth watching. Uh, that hadn't really been the case in the last few years. Just throwing that out there. But we're not talking about the last few years. We're, and we're, in this case, we're talking about the totality of his career. And from, I can't quite say from when, from very nearly when he debuted. From the Nick Diaz fight in 2005 to probably, what, the Melendez fight or so in 2013? For that stretch of time, that man was very nearly must-watch fighting. Not every fight was great. Uh, the fights with Koscheck and Fitch, first of all, whoever scored that fight between him and Fitch for him should have been shot. Okay, that's too strong a language. Should have been fired, bare minimum. Now, that was absurd. Uh, you know, the John Hathaway fight wasn't great. But yeah, he had a, again, he had a stretch when he... He had a very particular stretch, actually. 
starting with Apollo Tiago, Martin Campman, Jake Ellenberger, Takanori Gomi, and then Gilbert Melendez. All of those were fight of the night, I think. Uh, okay, not the Gomi one, but the others were. And in most of those cases, deservedly so. <laughs> I'm not going to advocate for something over, you know, his fight with Campman getting the nod in that fight. But he had a really rough go of it lately. And apparently some stuff that uh, his new, his coach, the uh, the guru, um, what's his name, Joshua Fabia, the uh, the practitioner, the rule, the ruler, I don't know, the head instructor at, what does he call it, the school of self-awareness? The irony being unbearably thick. Um, apparently Fabia, like on behalf of Sanchez, requested the totality of his medical records from the UFC. Uh, something about this rankled the UFC. They wanted some, they like wanted to make sure it was Diego and not, I'm probably getting some of this wrong. Uh, but ultimately they released Diego Sanchez. Um, there was also a video released by Sanchez's, I think his Instagram account, from... The production meeting ahead of you. There was. Uh, this is something apparently common. The production staff, so some of the some of the producers, the on-air personnel, uh, both like the on-site reporter. In this case, it was Megan O'Leary and the commentary team. I believe for UFC 250. This would have been for UFC 253, which I believe included Paul Felder, uh, and John Anik. There might have been a third booth man. I can't remember off the top of my head. And. This is long argument that Fabia gets into about the framing of how Sanchez handled the uh, the illegal knee from Michelle Pereja in his previous fight, that being the um, the Rio Rancho card. Um, do 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 UFC, which one was that on ESPN plus 25? The headline by uh, Corey Anderson and Jan Blahovich's rematch. This man's getting into the dumbest arguments with the production staff about how, you know, the fact that a lot of people, uh, myself included, when talking about how he handled that fight, thought he quit. And he objected. There's been some weird... Uh, Fabio's is a weird guy. And I don't try to say that disparagingly. I'm, let me be very clear about that. I don't think there's a whole lot of debate around him being a little weird. The martial arts community is full of weird people. Um, I want to be very careful how I frame this. I'll be abundantly clear about the following. I'm not accusing Joshua Fabia of anything. As a general rule, there is a weirdness, there is a weird thing in the martial arts community that has bled into the mixed martial arts community. We are, I say we as a uh, practitioner... Uh, I don't, I don't want to get into the whole... I'm a practitioner uh, of American Kenpo. Insert your own jokes here. Not here to defend any, my art necessarily. This is an observation I have about the community at large. We are not very good about policing or dealing with either the fraudulent or the parasitic. No, again... To be clear, not accusing Fabi of either of those things. I don't have enough evidence to do so. This is an, again, this is an observation generally. 
I mean, there are still people out there with schools teaching the no-touch knockout crap. This is utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. But people are out there doing it, and we don't have a lot of self-policing as far as this goes. And if we're talking about the parasitic or the predatory, um, yeah, guys, I... I hate to be the one to potentially inform any of you of this if you're not familiar with it, but those people exist in the community. The uh, you know, the leeches, and not and this that is not exclusive to the professional fighter ranks. There are people who own schools out there who are uh, petty, small-minded, in that respect, vindictive. Uh, who will uh, very co- let me put the put, here's a common story. Uh, someone who has achieved we're talking about some of the more traditional martial arts rankings. This is not exclusive. This does apply to jujitsu as well. Someone who has achieved say the brown belt rank, and part of the requirement for moving to brown is you aid in teaching. You're moving to black. Most systems, if you're brown going for black. Um, teaching is part of a requirement. Usually some level of competition, not always, but in jiu-jitsu, you know, they, um, the jiu-jitsu community highly encourages competition. Uh, so, but you know, teaching being a requirement for most of them, and when you do that, you're helping out around the studio. You are helping teach classes, whatever that happens to be, um, of whatever level that you know, the people in charge deem appropriate, whatever. Use, not always, but occasionally there will be compensation for this. And frequently, if you happen to want to raise, the response, uh, a typical response will be, I will, you know, you'll get a raise when you get your black belt. Leading to months and months and months of putting off the black belt test in order to maintain cheap labor. That kind of thing is not uncommon. And we're just kind of bad about policing it. To say nothing of the... Um, predatory nature of certain jiu-jitsu coaches? I mean, uh, Hermes Franca trained a lot of fighters, fought for the UFC lightweight title against Sean Shirk. And if you want to look up the specifics of the accusations and why he's in prison, I would encourage you to do so. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not good. The accusations... Uh, I know Lloyd Irvin, again, want to be careful, I'm not trying to expose myself to libel here. Uh, I know Lloyd Irvin never faced criminal charges, to be abundantly clear. But there were some pretty serious accusations leveled at him. Uh, it, It's not uncommon. Again, it's not every, I'm not trying to tell you it's every school, it's not. Uh, but you, it's, uh, again, there's not great policing, there's not great self-policing about this. I don't know why. I mean, there was horrible... I don't want to get... That's too... That, sorry. That's too far a rabbit hole for me to go down here at the moment. And, again, let me be very, very clear. I'm not accusing Fabia of any of those. Because I, I have no evidence. To the best of my knowledge, there are no allegations of misconduct. But martial arts is a space where... Um, people like that can find can carve out identities can carve out locations 
and can carve out, uh, you know, livelihoods. Again, there's people out there making a living teaching no-touch, knockout chi manipulation. I can't... It boggles my mind that people buy this, but they do. So, Fabia, and again, Fabia's a bit of a weird guy. If you look at some of the stuff that he's posted, uh, if you listen to the interview, a few of the interviews that he's done, um, what really boggles my mind about this, if we want to get to purely pragmatic sense, the way that um, the way that Diego's exit from the UFC has been handled. I don't know what other promoter would be really jumping, chomping at the bit to do business with him. And that's not a, that's not, uh, I mean, the man still has some name value, clearly. Uh, he, he's the kind of name that winds up in bare knuckle FC these days. Wouldn't be shocked if he does wind up there, to be candid. Um, but, I, I don't know that if I'm a promoter, I'm feeling, I, I would be wanting, I would want to be in the Diego Sanchez business. At this point, with all the years and all the miles and all the baggage, I don't know how that calculate. I don't know how that calculus plays out. But Sanchez, uh, Sanchez's departure from the UFC also marks the first time uh, he is the final cast member from the first season of The Ultimate Fighter to no longer be with the UFC. Uh, so for whatever value you want to put on the nostalgia of that first season and the talent it produced and how long they've been with the UFC fighting, Sanchez is the last of that cast to have now been jettisoned. Um, I don't know where Sanchez goes next. I, More than anything related to his fighting or my entertainment, I hope the man's life is in order. He gave the, he gave the MMA community some genuinely great fights, some all-time great fights. I don't know how highly they rank all-time, but fights that people very, very fondly remember, and with good reason. I hope his affairs are in order, and I hope that, again, I hope his life and his health are in order, more than anything else, because that's kind of... Not to get too cynical... But if you followed some of Diego Sanchez's stories, you always knew this was going to end bad. I mean, he did an interview with, um, I believe it was with Ariel Helwani back when he did the MMA hours of years ago. Uh, he talked about how he got scammed uh, out of a lot of his money. Um, he went on a bit of, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if there's something about him that makes him unique... Uh, uniquely susceptible to suggestion like that, or I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's just a very trusting person. But I, more than anything, I hope his life, his finances, and his health are in order because not everything else is secondary to that. So wherever he lands, I hope those things. I hope that I wish the best for him as far as those things go. And to be perfectly candid, I haven't been interested in watching him fight for quite some time now. He has not performed well. He's been a shell of himself. And he's just kind of gotten hurt more and more with each passing fight. So 
I I just can't shake the nagging suspicion that he's going to be one of those guys fighting until the athletic commissions don't let him and then trying to fight overseas where there are no athletic commissions. And for increasingly small amounts of money, as those of us in the community lament what used to be. Um, just my sense of it. All right, moving on, we'll be quick through the rest of these. Um, in financial news, next, both of these are actually financial. Uh, Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC, which now owns 100% of the UFC as of a couple of weeks ago, had their IPO, their initial public offering. They are now a publicly traded company. They raised a lot of money. Um, I forget what they were trading at last I checked. 20-some-odd dollars a share, I think, uh, which is good. Uh, whether this has a tremendous impact on anything going forward remains to be seen. It will have some impact on something. We might get more financial disclosure uh, about the UFC specifically. I'm not sold on that. Um, Endeavor might be able to list the UFC as an as simply one of its sub-entities rather than have to go into specifics about the UFC. Though now that they own 100% of it, that might not be the case either. Uh, some of that will... How that breaks down will come down to the specific legal language in various contracts, so we'll just have to wait and see on some of that. But they finally got their IPO and seem to be doing well enough at the moment. Um, Endeavor's been kind of cash flow negative for a bit. In fact, it's not much of an exaggeration to say that if they had not purchased the UFC, then tw they would have simply ceased to exist at some point in 2020. They would have gone bankrupt. Uh, the UFC was the only money-making property that they have, uh, that they had in all of 2020. Everything else they, they own lost money. So, yeah. Uh, we'll see how they rebound in the year going forward, and you know, we'll, can loosely pay attention to stock price if you're so inclined. Uh, also in the financial sector, be very brief here, Conor McGregor, former UFC featherweight and lightweight champion, his whiskey... Uh, company Proper 12. He sold out of it. He got bought out to the tune of $600 million, give or take. Now, that is to him and his management partners. That was not paid exclusively to him. But I imagine he kept probably the lion's share of that cash. Uh, you know, there's a line, I, I think it was Marvin Hagler, though it's an older sentiment than from Hagler. But it's uh, it's hard. I think his thing was it's hard to stay motivated to train and fight when you're sleeping on silk sheets. Uh, and Hagler, in particular, whenever he would go into a training camp, had this like old abandoned hotel that he would go stay at. Um, because he needed to be uncomfortable to train and fight to his best. And that's again, that's a very old sentiment in the fighting world. You know, you've uh, you've got to have that dog in you. Uh, I mean, you know, Mick, uh, uh, that sentiment's expressed in Rocky Three. You know, Mickey tells Rocky, "The worst thing that happened, the worst thing that could happen to any fighter, happened to you. You got civilized." Same sentiment. Connor's still planning on fighting uh, Dustin Poirier a little bit later this year, but um, man, if I got I don't know how much of that $600 million he got. I I can tell you people, if I got $600 million, I might still do this because I enjoy it. 
But if I fought for a living and got that payout, uh-uh. I mean, I, I would find ways to live off the interest from that money, and I would not... You have to be, you have to be wired different, you know? You have to be wired differently to have that kind of money, that kind of payout, and to still go into a cage and get bludgeoned for cash. I don't know if you just have to be insanely competitive. I don't know if you have to have other debt load hanging over you. I don't... I mean, this is not exclusive. I'm not just singling out Connor here. Um, Anthony Joshua got a ridiculous payout as a site fee from the Saudis to have his rematch with Andy Ruiz in Saudi Arabia. He got personally just got a site fee of... I think it was $100 million, give or take. That's not That's not his purse. He got a purse for that, too. But they just paid him a boatload of cash to have the fight there. Uh, I think Saudi Arabia is basically the front runner to host uh, the fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, in which they would split evenly $150 million site fee. That's $75 million each. You know, Tyson Fury's made a lot of money. I, and he's still... Uh, you know, gets up and trains and is going to go fight. You just have to be built differently, man. I don't think I could. I don't fully expect at any point in my life to get $600 million for anything. But uh, to have achieved that and then to just go back into a cage and get punched in the face, again, you, you got to be different. You just have to be different. And you know, maybe Connor has lost the dog. It's a fair observation, fair question to ask of him, I think, lately. And, you know, look, maybe he comes out and he blitzes Poirier, and you know, the whole thing's the whole question is answered in that respect. But it's a relevant question to ask of any fighter once they achieve that level of financial success. All right, um, that's everything I've listed here. Let me check Twitter, and if not, we'll get into plugs and get out of here. All right, does not look like anything is broken while I've been recording. Let's get into plugs. I don't have a whole lot this week. I just, prior to recording this, I recorded a review of, especially Sunday, Damn You Hollywood, of Demon Slayer, the Mugen Train. Myself, Mark Rydelich, and Mark's daughter Lily got together. We talked about it. Uh, good time was had by all, so please give that a listen. This is my last free week for a while, because starting the next week, uh, it's kind of full steam ahead. Let me give you a list of stuff you can look forward to hearing me on if you're into my opinions on other stuff. Uh, oh, last week there's also a review for A Damn You Hollywood for Mortal Kombat. Myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and Jason Teasley discussed the most recent Mortal Kombat movie, and uh, you can tune in for that. Uh, let's see, yeah, starting, starting May 11th. May 11th will be A Damn You Hollywood for the new Jason Statham and Guy Ritchie collaboration, Wrath of Man. I'll be on the TV party for Falcon and the Winter Soldier on the 13th. On the 14th, there'll be a review for The Woman in the Window, the Netflix movie. On the 18th, will be Spiral. Myself, Alexis Hannah, and Jason Teasley. I will be contributing to the Jupiter's Legacy Season 1. Oh, good grief. That whole week. Every freaking day. <laughs> a lot of me. Uh, I, will be, uh, I will be reviewing the first season of Jupiter's Legacy with Mark Radulich. Uh, the week after, I'll be part of the Mighty Ducks Game Changers show that uh, will be wrapped up by then on Disney+. Plus. The Army of the Dead movie, 
Castlevania Season 4, the final season of that particular animated property. Um, Cruella, June 1st. Yeah, busy. May's going to be busy. So you can look forward to a lot of stuff from me coming up. Oh, somewhere in there. Uh, I forget exactly where, but I think somewhere in there is going to be a Metal Hammer of Doom that I'm on. I'll have to double check that with Mark. But somewhere in there. So, yeah, busy month. Busy month for me. All right, Monday, I will have a report for AEW's Dark Elevation, per usual. Wednesday, whatever, uh, the MLW Fusion card. This is their last, I believe this is the last Fusion until the uh, kind of soft relaunch in July. So, a lot of underground is in my future, I imagine. Um, Fridays, WWE SmackDown. I was not able to cover this last one, but I will be back on the horse this week. And for a new Daniel Bryan-less SmackDown. Ah, uh, sad. So sad. We'll see how long his exile from SmackDown lasts. Whether or not he shows up on Raw, or gets reinstated, or if he actually is, you know, potentially retired. We'll have to wait and find out. Uh, and then Saturday, UFC on ESPN 24, whatever that happens to wind up looking like. So that will be Saturday in the MMA zone, the other stuff in the in the wrestling zone, all at 411 Mania. My movies, television, and other podcast contributions can be found at the Rydalich and Broadcasting Network. We're a subgroup of the W2M Network. Wherever you find podcasts like this one, you can type in W2M Network and probably find my stuff over there. So thank you very much for any and all support you throw the way of the stuff that I do and contribute to. It is humbling and appreciated that you all listen to my work. On that note, that is it for me this week. Back next week. Until next time, thank you all very much. Stay safe out there as usual, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.